an inner view with a real color. Beautiful. Oh, praise the Lord. Hello uh, and welcome to episode 18 of an interview podcast. Um, on this week's episode, yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one. Um, a girl I met traveling years ago. Um, when I was in Asia, when I was 21, or, you know, early 20s, um, I met her recently, we kind of reconnected, you know, just had a little meet and a little walk and a talk and things. And, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of mentioned the podcast and I was sort of mentioning, yeah, about the kind of diversity and the range. And then, and then she kind of popped in, oh, well, maybe, you know, I've got a, I've got a guy who is called Guy too, um, who uh who has done something really interesting like he's uh he's managed to cure his uh his 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 kind of uh PTSD state so that he um was left over with i suppose you could say uh from 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 Afghanistan um and he's managed to cure it with uh with psychedelics and my ears kind of pricked up and I was like, well, that's amazing. That is a pretty, um, that's a pretty, a very unique story. Um, and, you know, one that I think, yeah, I think, you know, you, you know, you need to kind of approach it with a, with a very open mind and a very open view, you know, because we've, you know, we've, over the years, because of newspaper articles and demonization and all these things, you know, we've, we've, um, I think we've taken this subject of psychedelics and gone, oh no, 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 they're just, they're just really bad. They haven't got any good qualities. You know, they, you know, make you see things and make you jump out of windows. And, you know, there's, there's, there's all this kind of mad hysteria around it. Um, when what's actually happening well, well, I mean, it was, it was, it, you know, as we, as we allude to in the podcast, you know, it was, it was sort of demonised for a political reason, and that has meant that then, you know, there's, there's been you know, thirty, forty years of, of of potential research which is lost. But in the last, say, maybe, maybe ten years, maybe more, I'm not sure, but around that kind of figure anyway. Um, there's been a movement to, to get to try and understand and get some research out there as to its potential benefits with regards to things like PTSD and depression and anxiety and end of life um, anxiety. So yeah, you know, guy is, guy is living proof that, uh, that it works, you know, um, you know, it's not, maybe not for everybody. Um, and how, how it's done and how it's um used you know you have you know, there's, there's natural uh 
implications as to you know being very careful and you know having intentions having set having setting you know there's 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 some very serious implications that need to be made uh before going into this um journey because uh there's there's as as as, as guys found it's 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 life-changing potential um and you know in the right setting with the right motivations with the right guide with all of that um there is huge potential for substances to be used in a very very you know beneficial and beautiful way um so i i hope this podcast goes some way into helping your understanding of of the potential benefits of these also the you know yeah I think warning has to be heeded as to their as to their um, potential potency because they are extremely, um, yeah, just powerful. Um, I think we mentioned it in the book, uh, sorry, in the in, in the podcast, but uh, a a book that changed my thinking um, around this particular subject was uh, Michael Pollan's book uh, called "The New Science of Psychedelics." Um, an amazing read, truly life-changingly transformational read. Um, so I can highly recommend that book. And I th- again, I think we touched on this in the in the in the in the podcast. But there's also a book by Johan Hardy uh, called Chasing the Scream. And if you've got any preconceived ideas about you know psychedelics and drugs and you know all all these kind of you know, you've, you've got these kind of ideas, these um, myths. I would pop in there and say that. Read read those two books, and they will give you a a almost like a reset button, a kind of leveling out of of what's happened with them, their creation, the the kind of ethics around them. It's, it's, it, they they really help you get a level. Oh, okay, so this is where we're at now. Um. And again, talks like this, I think, you know, can really go a long way to helping that. Um, Guy has got a, um, on Wednesday 10th of March, um, there is an event. Uh, It's a a kind of recorded um, event. It's a, well, a a kind of live event um, that is happening because he was part of a, a, um, a video made um yeah he was part of a video made by a guy called Dan Loughton um who also you know heard of his story um and they're going to be on a panel with there's going to be Dr Ben Sesser who um who is along with David Nutt uh one of the kind of leading um sort of scientists and researchers with regards to um, psychedelics and their potential benefits, and I think there's even a there's even a I think Ben Sesser is Dr. Ben Sesser is starting a research institute in Bristol, which is very exciting. Um, so yeah, I will uh, I will put links up to this panel discussion. Um, the documentary is called Breaking Through. Um, the director is Dan Loughton, and uh, yeah. I will, I will, you know, put all this up on in the in the kind of show notes. Um, so yeah, I'll reiterate again. You know, this is this is a very um, yeah, it's a very um, deep 
uh, podcast. It's a very, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it touches on some, on some pretty um, taboo topics, you might say. Um, so yeah, just before going into it, just beware of um, potential triggering. Um, there's a lot of talk about death and war and PTSD and drug use. And so, yeah, if you've got any, you know, um, issues around that, just be very wary. Um, it's going to come up in the podcast. Um, oh, I should probably also mention that, um, yeah, I had a bit of a, bit of a night, well, we had a bit of a nightmare, um, recording the start, not we, I, cause I'm the one controlling it. Um, yeah, it, uh, we we did we did quite a bit at the start, and then realized, and then I realised it wasn't um, uh, recording. So we do a little catch and try and you know recover some of the stuff that we uh, we missed in that first little bit. It's only a very small bit, but yeah, I just thought I'd let you know. Um, and the song um, starting today's podcast is going to be "Yes I'm Changing" by Tame Impala. It was quite pertinent. Um, considering I know um, Kevin Parker's view on the kind of topic we've got now. And, uh, yeah, and of course the nature of the podcast that you're about to listen to. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, spread the word. Thank you. Ciao. Let's go.
Are we on? I think we're on. We're back on. Okay. Well, luckily we didn't talk about anything before you hit the record button. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just kind of how you got there, and and and. It's fine. We can go back over things now. You've got it. Now you can ask me like an even better question if you feel like you've got one. Oh God, the pressure's on. Okay. Um. So, Mister Army Man, uh, <laughs> how did you join the army? <laughs> Come on, no, you, you said, what did you ask? What you, did I say? Come on. You said something about an ex-veteran and we cleared that up. That was it, yeah. What was the, we said, we said that, yeah, was it ex-military, was it ex-veteran? What was the... Yeah, so I, I, I kind of clarified that it was, you're a veteran, but I actually maybe a little bit feel like an ex-veteran. Like yeah. I, I step away from the persona of what a, a veteran meant to me in order to gain a better perspective on what was maintaining my mental health illness for quite a while okay and you also said being a veteran at 30 was yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's so yeah i'm a veteran people that, like older people look at you like you're not old enough to be a veteran i've got my zimmer frame pipe around the corner actually. I just, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly let me just get my pipe out and tell you a war story um but yeah it's it people do especially now i'm at uni people are like you're in the army and they they look at me weirdly i mean people look at me weirdly anyway but i think that's more because of the stuff that i usually say um but yeah they, they can't quite fathom that I'd, i've been through this five and a half year journey with the army and then five years or four years traveling on the other side of it okay and you started when you were 18 you said didn't you? yeah 18 yeah. till 24 from 2008 2014 i served with the 4th Battalion, the Rifles. 2008, so I think. Okay. So that was not quite Iraq? but No, it was Afghanistan. Afghanistan, yeah. okay. Um, a pretty Larry time of it as well. Mm. It was, um, well, actually, let's go, let's go back a little yeah, bit. We, okay. said, we said about... Um, we're talking about your initial... Your, your reasons for going into the army. What were the, what were the reasons that you... Um, you thought, oh, that, that sounds like mm. a good, good option. I guess there was a lot, to put it um, broadly, there was a lot going on at home and situations um, where I didn't really felt like I belonged in that sort of community um, and just a few sort of things that happened in my childhood, even though I had like a quite a happy childhood around the outside of a few of these things which happened, um, kind of drove me into a low self-esteem I guess um self-esteem and yeah when the army came calling with their classic slogans be the best sense of belonging pride and all these things these these were buzzwords and I was like yeah me yeah I can I can become that man I was like where do I sign I was, I was, I was, I was on the way to college and I saw the recruitment office and I was like hey guys and they were like oh god where, where, where do I sign up? <laughs> like, like, do you know? Do you know who you're joining? Like, what regiment? I was there. Like, what's the one on the door? Ah, <laughs> oh, the rifles. I want to be a rifleman. I'm gonna be a rifleman, <laughs> man. That'll do me. What do they do? Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna be on on the ground with a gun, closing in and fighting the Taliban. Let's do it. Okay, I'll think about it. I think about it later on. Give me the training. <laughs> Give me the training. <laughs> so when you're so you're you're 18. And yeah. you're and and you're thrust into that environment of being the best and pride. Yeah, what was that? What was what, 
Was that, that was like? it. I, we talked yeah. about quickly that I went up north. Yeah. I went north of the wall. The Southern Ferry went. Southern Ferry went up to the to the old Northern Monkeys. <laughs> um, that that was an experience in itself. As I just remember standing around and I just started smoking at the time. Sorry, mum. And I lit, lit a cigarette and someone came over. Give us a fag, mate. I said, like, excuse me? <laughs> Give me a fucking fag. I was like, no. <laughs> what, like, what's wrong with you? Just give me a fag. And I was like, you're going to say please? And then, uh, and then everyone just like kind of looked at me. and was like, who are you? Mate, are you in the right place? <laughs> this guy, this guy, we got his number. Yeah. Tarnished yeah. this guy. Oh my goodness. Um, and that's where I kind of, I guess when I was in training, I got like a bit of like more of like the Southern Ferry posh boy. I was well-spoken um, sort of badge. Like everyone got, got a different badge. Um, and yeah, that's what I got labeled with. But it was it was all positive. Training was um, some of the best days of my life. Oh, really? Yeah, really great lads. Mm. Um, did it did it did it give you that sense of togetherness and belonging and community and and at that, at that period yeah. of time? Like I said at the beginning, it didn't. I I wanted to run home with my tail between my legs. Mum, mum, <laughs> help! They're all so mean. But then eventually, because of the way that it works, we all got you all get broken down um down to a base level um I mean, it's tough it's like it's not it's not all oh, right we're all gonna you know get to this nice level of fitness and talk about that it's like you do as you're told and it's quite a shaming sort of place to be in even though all you want to do is prove yourself to these people who are shaming you it's like you you know shut up you mong and you're like mong <laughs> do that again <laughs> sorry um, but you learn very quickly because you're all part of it together and okay. I think that is that's what brings you really close and um, yeah I still speak to some of the lads to this day from from training and then obviously we've we lost a few lads as well from that training platoon through operations um, going forward okay. um, when did when did you when did you know you were um, getting deployed to Afghanistan? When when did that thing dawn on you? Um, oh, we 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 knew like. Oh, that was it. Was part something? Was it? S- sort of the people who joined up at that time, especially with the rifles, which was a big regiment, who were being deployed to Afghanistan every six months, depending on which battalion you went to. And the way that it works, if you go into a training platoon, and someone's going away on tour they'll try and fill all the spaces with your trainer platoon. So you're going straight into the cycle of going into training, going into battalion, spending six months. So training six months, battalion six months or a year, then straight out to Afghanistan. Right. So like you were told this in the recruitment office. How, um, did, that, how, did, how did that kind of sit with you? The, the, the thought that you were going to go out and, and hold a gun and potentially be killing another person? Was that, did that dawn on you at that time or was it just part and parcel of the, of the kind of job? Um, to be honest with you for a lot for because of that sense of belonging and the way that it works and your objective sort of experience at training I had to view it all as a game anyway like to get through it right so so the training was was teaching me so many things but also in the back of my mind I was like oh this isn't real like I'm just 
I'm just going through the motions. And like any any of those thoughts, they don't, I don't remember them dawning on me. Okay. Um, I don't think really think you have that much of an opportunity. Like some people literally did join join to I want to go to Afghanistan and and fight the Taliban. Um, but for me, like I guess I didn't really think about it. For me, it was that sense of belonging okay. um, that I wanted, that brother brotherhood. Um, but in hindsight, what a silly thing to go <laughs> into. Mm. um blind blindly and to not really understand that you were just the pawns of rich people you know moving around in whatever ways that it is that i don't even think many people understand to this day yeah i think i was i think i was lucky enough when i was in school to i think i think we did um some world war one poetry and there was like wilfred owen and sigrid Sassoon, and they they were, yeah, you know, um, soldiers during the World War, but then they came back and they they wrote poetry around, you know, what was happening to the, you know, mm. yeah, literally it was, it was about the, the about them being pawn pieces and the people above being chess pieces, and that and that I think is is the is the general, you know, general gist of things. But people get comfortable with it as well. Oh really? Yeah, like I know a lot of people who they ju- they just want to do as they're told, right? Um, and be part of that that system. Because they want to belong to a majority. Because I think the scary side of not belonging is to be abandoned. Right. Um, and I think it terrifies a lot of people to even start imagining what's on the outside of the army. Like, we're always told, the grass ain't greener, lads. Like, you know, you got your three meals a day. You got your bed. You got venture training. You got alley tours. It's really salty, isn't it? This, this. Uh, yeah. 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 And, uh, I do. And this is jumping forward a bit, but when it comes to leaving, you, unless you're a higher rank, you're you're kind of just outcast and put to one side, and you just get the the rubbish jobs for a year because it takes you a year to get out. Right. Um. So I saw it as a bit fickle on, on my way out. Okay. Um. Let's rewind back a bit and talk mm. about Afghanistan. What was what was the overriding? How, how long were you there for? What was the, what happened? Yeah. What happened during your time there? And I've got a bit of a head cold, so I have a cough in the middle of this. I apologise, people listening. It's not Corona. It's okay. <laughs> it's not Corona. It's man flu. Interseason man flu. We all get it. We all we all know that feeling. Yeah, I'm not going to compare it because that would be bleak. Yeah, I but, but it's going to it's going it's going to give you know men man flu victims this year an extra extra clout. You know, to yeah. be like, listen, I'm really am feeling it this year. Please don't come near me. Yeah. 14 days off. Let me lie in bed. Help. Even you veterans know. get bogged down with it. <laughs> <laughs> right enough for the sniffles um afghanistan so we had a winter tour and we were going out with the sort of understanding that it wasn't gonna be too leery where we were going so we we're in um Sangin valley in helman province um that's like that name's enough to probably trigger quite a lot of people who who are listening if they're in the military um but yeah it ended up being leery um, I, th- I think it was dubbed one of the bloodiest tours of Afghanistan with the most amount of losses and IED strikes, successful IED strikes from the Taliban um, to maim soldiers. What's IED? Improvised explosive device. Okay. So the the makeshift bombs that they learn to make through fertilizers and um, power sources and other stuff that goes in explosives. I didn't know what they were. I was just I was just trying to find them. Guy Fawkes stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um so we went out 
a company attached to three rifles um battle group and yeah we were the most northern um sort of company in that area i don't even i can't even remember how to describe it anymore because this is so long ago um and my job uh specifically was i got trained with a metal detector to walk at the front of the fighting patrol so we would go out and walk towards the enemy and they'd walk towards us and we'd have a fight and then i'd be at the front of one of these sections with another guy um or or not and you clear a safe lane for people to move up behind you so they don't step on an id um and obviously with that there's there's a little bit of pressure <laughs> there's pressure i've got, I've got, I've got palpitations just listening <laughs> yeah. Doing it. Jeez. yeah so we so when you watch something like uh the hurt locker when they know where the id was usually someone's found it beforehand and that was the job of valorman um so yeah and a lot of the time the taliban were trying to make them with very little metal content and the floor would be littered with metal anyway so most of it was done on eyesight atmospherics um the environment like are we being channeled is this going to be a choke point for them to fire upon us are they then going to place explosives round where we might take cover so when you dive into cover you dive onto an id so my job was create that path which means people can fight from a position a safe position without stepping on anything outside of that path jesus yeah fun people wonder why i'm scared of things like balloons you go to a party i'm like get that balloon out of here <laughs> like guys a balloon i'm like do you know how scary balloons are yeah right or cars back front is such a cliche it's like are you really scared of cars back front? yes hmm. I'm just trying to enjoy my day noisy vehicles anything like that do you get, do you get even, even, even if a kind of like a bang happens or, or, or there's something that do you, do you still less and less these days, yeah. but yeah, yeah. For, and for a long time, like it took me a while to get back to homeostasis, just like being a neutral. Um, and then I'd be sort of like hypervigilant on top of it and it would make me think about memories. When you, when you, when you, when you do, did come out of the army, how, how, how did you try and maintain that kind of level of, or, or you, you, you know, because you've 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 gone from this this kind of um, regimented, mm. structured, not necessarily killing machine, but you know the, the 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 potential to do is there. Yeah. To then come back into, you know, this kind of society where you know mm. you've got to just get on the road and get your newspaper and your milk. Yeah. Uh, uh, how? Um. So I'm. So anyone, anyone knows I'm, I'm quite a sensitive guy anyway. Like even before I went in, aggression was something I had to learn on the ground. I did, I, you know, it didn't come naturally to me. Um, whereas other guys were more of like the war dog type. They were ready for it. Um, for me, that was a learnt experience. And when I came back from Afghanistan, I knew that I didn't like to feel aggressive all the time. So I didn't really have too much of a problem with the aggression side of things. But on the flip side, I went more into the sensitive side of things. So like I was introspective, like thoughts and what was the point? What was the meaning? Um, like, why did my friend die? And and those questions, which started to topple the house of cards, as I usually describe it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and when we do come back in big groups and we go out 
into civilian population and you get the classic like they don't understand and then the fights kick off and the alcohol fuels it and and yeah that's when soldiers kind of tarnish their good name after right. you know um doing something which is perceived as brave mm. and, so, and so and so how was that initial because you said there was like a year period where you you came out of it and you just doing the doing the crap jobs or whatever how yeah how, yeah how, how was that period coming out of the army uh, yeah that was really hard because like sorry <laughs> i i was trying to ignore the all the thoughts and questions which were like sort of going through my head i guess um and it was only when i was i was thinking about becoming an officer so i was just a private or what we call a rifleman um and someone just asked me a question well, I think it was my commanding officer um and he just asked me a question like what were the nationalities of the people who flew the planes into the twin towers I was that like I can't say Afghanistan that's too obvious and then I just it just dawned on me I didn't I didn't even know the nationalities of the people that flew the plane into the twin towers mm-hmm. um and then he was like, well, could you imagine being in front of news reporters as an officer who's just come back and you say something which isn't factually correct about another nationality flying planes into the towers of which allowed us to go, allowed us, which drove <laughs> enabled. us, enabled, yeah. enabled us to go into another country and try and get rid of... Um, a terrorist organization um so like for me i just i started i was i, was, I, was like, I, don't, I don't know anything about this like why am i in the out like why am i doing this um and that's when everything started to come unraveled and things started slowing down and i went to get help um from my medical officer and she said guy you're just demotivated in your work role at this point i've been walking around for days like but my friend killed in front of me and like let's find some proper work yeah but like Jeremy Cullen, get a get a job get a yeah. proper job get yeah. a real job where you're thinking about things yeah really Is that, was yeah. that was that was that response to you yeah, yeah that was that was the response as I was kind of um and I'd just been promoted at the time and she as I was like walking out the door she chimed in with a you're a lance corporal now you'll figure it out I was like I was like no lovely packed lunch on your way to school yeah there you go yeah enjoy have a good day um and i just i just think a lot what, of was, your, what was what was your thought and reaction coming out of that one out of that out, i was just i was furious i was yeah. angry and it set at the time and for quite a while afterwards a, a false belief that doctors and people wouldn't be able to help me okay. and i think that drove forward um or it didn't let me connect with a lot of mental health charities and stuff as as well as I could, and I was I was pretty much treatment resistant. So if I sat down from someone, I immediately wouldn't be able to trust them. So therefore, my therapy wouldn't be able to work. What was what was um, what kind of mental instability was was happening to you during these um, during during this time? Um, so nightmares, uh, night terrors, where you just wake up sweaty. Um, and they're not, they weren't necessarily exact replays of what had happened in Afghanistan, but they were like war driven, um, 
or archetypal dreams of death and despair because what actually happened the main thing that happened in afghanistan is i watched um my friend best friend that i joined with get shot through the face so so as much as obviously you miss like i miss martin my friend the, the guy who joined the guy, with, the guy with. yeah yeah oh we met on the first day of training and then stayed um close all the way through and deployed together um and in that moment it wasn't just that you lose a friend it's because i saw myself in him and just like we're the only animals on this planet that can fathom our own death or begin to understand it and even when you do everyone has that vertigo sort of feeling of like looking at the other side of death like i invite anyone to think about it for a while like the end of your existence and it there's almost that dissociation and like when you actually see that happen to someone so close to you and another human being your body like checks itself as like whoa like what how can that happen and that energy was trapped in me so that was i still had two months to go so i had to stay in afghanistan there's no grieving process there's no breaking down you literally sit with that pain and that anguish and the fear that you're going to die or have that same bullet hit you in the head um so and then i was a sensitive guy on top of all of this as well so like, i wanted wanted to have that breakdown and that um but it's not it's not, it's not encouraged it's not you, you can't yeah, you can't do it we're, we're down i think at the time we're down to like 23 men in this compound you're meant to have like 30 plus i don't know if I, I could be making this stuff up now it's such a long time ago but we had very few men and even f fewer men less men fewer that um could do my job well anyone could pick up a metal detector but the curse of the valin is you take it you do a good job with it. The moment you hand it over to someone else, they might not be as good as you. So they're either going to get themselves killed or the person or the people behind you are going to step on that device. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was, that whole thing was energy, darkness was was trapped in me, I guess. Um, okay. And then that also came out in just general fear, existential terror. So like, I could be going to put air into my tires and i'd be scared like the wheels going to explode or just driving along have a panic attack that i was dying from cancer or like people like loads of people get that now but when it takes over your your like life on a day-to-day -day basis for day-to-day -day basis for far too long it's debilitating because you can't function so the only thing that you want to do is just find the easiest way to get through each day which was drinking and partying for me um because i got that connection with people and then also the alcohol which helped me sleep and also be social and keep that energy up so it was drinking the partying that was that was your way of coping with it or your kind of release or yeah so after so obviously i had that year leading up towards the end of my military career i walked out i walked out of camp a lot earlier than i was supposed to and no one really cottoned on to the fact that i kind of left earlier than my than i was meant to um and i went straight to france straight on to ski season because the army had taken us out there and i'd been dancing up at the folly deuce and stuff as a soldier thinking this is mint why am i doing <laughs> why am i traipsing around other countries getting myself in all sorts of hot situations mm. um so yeah i went straight out to france and 
it was good because it, like extreme sports was really good for me um takes your mind off of things because you have to be so in like the present moment um so i kind of threw myself into that and then in the summers i was going off and doing a surf season which was working behind a bar um watching just, the surfers surf watching the surfers surf girls watching the surfers surf um yeah it was just all i don't know it was it was for me as i i could hide amongst a crowd of people who are all having fun and also i was having fun like don't get me wrong like some of the best days of my life especially um the friendship group that i've kept up with since since then who have met on my travels um but also there was the moment i wasn't in that social environment and i was by myself it was just like the demons crept in um so yeah i did that for four years jumping back and forth between winter and summer um were the were the were, were the were the kind of dark places still happening during that time, or was yeah. or was the hedonism kind of out outweighing the majority of the time? The hedonism was outweighing like the dark thoughts, but then sometimes it would catch me off guard, and I'd find myself looking over bridges and challenging myself, I guess, in my drunken states, which is very dangerous when you're alone and drunk and have a lot of depression or PTSD that hasn't been dealt with in grief. Um, but it's like you know, it's like um, always, um, Rob, Robin Williams. I always get the Robbie and Robin, like the actor, like how he like tragically like he. You watch him on any of the sorts of like TV shows that he did right the way leading up towards his death, and like how happy and he was and how much he like just wanted to make people smile and be present in their lives. But you don't know what's happening on the flip side. And that's like, I think that was the the danger. Um, and I could sense it, that I was unstable. And the only thing that was kind of keeping me going was the partying, the, the alcohol, and I didn't want to return to England. Hmm. When did you, when was the moment that you re- that you thought, right, this can't go on, this has to change now. Otherwise, God, goodness knows what, I'm, I'm, I might actually jump or I might, you know, do something stupid. I guess I got used to the idea that I wasn't brave enough to do it, um, <laughs> which is dark, isn't it? Um, or maybe I was just, exp- I knew that there was more to life because I was still traveling whilst I, was, I had this depression. Maybe if I was at home and I wasn't traveling when I had that depression, it would have been worse. I don't know. But I still, I could still, I saw that there were genuinely people, like happy people around and I knew that there was probably a process to it but I guess it was I met a girl moved to Dubai with her um and we were as dramatic as each other and drinking and big like ups and downs and we ended up breaking up um and it was when I came home and it was like that feeling of because you broke up with me I was like oh my god it's my first like time I've been broken up with and I was just like this whole victim story of coming back and um, ended up on my mate's sofa in Bristol and yeah just went through the dark time again um, and that was at the point that I called the Samaritans and I was like I ain't good like I'm, I'm spiralling 
like a downward spiral, like a vortex. Like I'm at the top and then I'm getting worse and worse and spiraling downwards like very quickly. Um, but then I can't remember what exactly what it was, but they, they said a few things or the person was, they're not even meant to give advice. And they said something which kind of threw me. They're like, well, what's, what's your strengths? Like, how can you use your strengths to get yourself out of this? And in the army, I don't know if it was just comparatively with the rest of the lads, but they were just always like, Miles, you're intelligent. Like, what are you even doing here? Like, you should, you should be at uni. Like, like why are you here? And then I just always had that, those thoughts. I was like, well, that's why I was different maybe to people, like some people who thought that I was different in the army. So maybe I'll try and use that intelligence to get myself out of this situation. It was some weird thought like that, like something happened and the Samaritans were involved. Um, and that was when I'd been sitting on the sofa watching episode and episode of Friends or whatever it was, just trying to zone out at my friends. Um, I just made a decision. I was like, I'm going to put Wait, a TED what, talk on. What, what age were you here? 20? 24. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to put a... No. No, I wasn't 24. I was much older. Numbers. Yeah. Um, I was 20, 28. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goes so quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, 20, 28. Yeah, that's when I came out when I was 28. So this is 28. Um, and I, I just thought I'll, I'll watch TED Talks instead because I knew that I liked the old TED Talk. Um, and I was like, I'll watch TED Talk on depression. See, like, see what people were saying about it. Um, so I watched one, then one after another, and then one ended up on how drugs are actually beneficial for, um, can be used as an adjunct to psychotherapy. So used alongside to actually um, work through your mental health issues. And I was like, yeah, of course that makes sense. Like, I know it does, but I've probably not been, if I've used them recreationally before, I've not been using them in a positive way, more in a numbing way. Um, and then, yeah, I stumbled upon video by Dr. Rosalind Watts, which is all about psilocybin depression. Um, one of the studies that she did, I think it's at Imperial College, London. Um, and I was fascinated. I was like, this makes sense. Like... I knew intuitively that it made sense what she was talking about and the science of it and the way that I felt if I had used these drugs recreationally in the past. Um, I was like, right, I'm going to study this. Um, sent a few messages um, to a few people and Dr. Ben Sessa got back to me and he was like, well, if you, if you genuinely have a passion for this and want to help, then you need to take yourself off to uni. So think that week I applied to uni wrote like a pretty compelling personal statement um I basically couldn't say no so I had had like an unconditional offer like the week after that um and then it was just about getting to London um had my nan to support me down there and my auntie and um and mum helped me get there as well and then I ended up at uni in 2018 not long after I come back from Dubai okay so 2018 what what was the um the course or the um yeah the 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 kind of route that you were in um so it's psychology and counseling which is okay. a bachelor of science um and yeah i still i'm attracted to both the research element of it and also the providing therapy for people like i get a real buzz out of helping people have their own epiphanies, their own sorts of light bulb moments. And um, 
yeah i just i just don't like the thought of anyone going through what i went through for right. so, like so many years and it's almost like because the charities were bloody awful when i was um applying to go on some of them or go to some of them i was like i can do this better or i could at least help the people who fall through the nets and i was like if i can do it better then that's you know that's a good place to start looking at to to being of service to like society instead of just being this drip that was on the sofa not doing anything and just letting life go by but i could recount friends like there's no tomorrow oh yeah yeah give me a friend's ball game trivial pursuit friends <laughs> i'm, I'm <your> man. man. <laughs> yeah. um so so from this from this ted talk that you watched on psilocybin mm-hmm. um has that has that influence is that have, have you used that to to work with your mental illness or, or or what's what's happened with that there yeah what, what what's the relationship so, so I, I, I dipped into the old psychedelics when I was at a few festivals okay. over the summer after the, my first year at university. So I'd done a year of study in psychology and also a year of my own background research on psychedelics and looking at the publication, which are on MAPS, which is a multidisciplinary multi-dis- association for psychedelic studies we sound like matt's robots don't we yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one um there's like loads of good content on there which is like full manuals of 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 how these things how these substances are used for their best effect like with the right intent setting dosage and help or therapy mm. um how they help people have their breakthrough moments so when I first did them, I went off to Scotland. Um, was, was, was this was this self, um, self yeah done? So I went off wandering. Um, this isn't Scotland. I'm po- there's a picture of that I'm pointing towards. Anyway, um, it's all green and hills. Yeah, it's and green and it was, it was it was in nature. The whole point was there we go. Yeah, um, I was working outside of a whis- whiskey distillery um, in a pop up coffee stall because my mates are coffee queens, um, coffee roast roasters. Roasters, roastery, roast, 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 that yeah. one. Um, they roast beans. They make coffee. banging coffee, um, <laughs> and yeah. So we were there to facilitate coffee making services for people who were going into this whiskey distillery because obviously they can't go in there and drink loads of whiskey and get in their cars. They need caffeine. I don't know. Um, Getting back on some kind of level. Yeah. So I was working during there during the, um, there during the day, and then staying at a campsite on the edge of a forest um in Dalwini and in the mornings I'll get up just before dawn or after work I'd go out um towards the end of last light and I'd be searching for magic mushrooms um and I did all my like sorts of research of pdfs on my phone and looking at mushrooms and I was wandering through this forest and I was like there's too many there's like too many types like this is I'm not going to be stupid um the only magic mushrooms I'd ever seen before were Liberty Caps, which are quite a common one here in the UK. So anyway, I was becoming more and more sort of disgruntled that I couldn't find these these mushrooms in this forest. And then when I was at work one day, like the sun started shining, which is a rare treat in, rare treat in Scotland. Um, Summer's my favourite day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the sun kind of came beaming through these clouds like a ha ha sort of moment and this light like shone in this ground and I saw this chalky white cap of a mushroom as I had my head in my hands at my coffee stall because we weren't busy I was like I was like 
oh, there's quite a few of those chalky-looking mushrooms off in, off in this field that I'm sitting in. I'd been there for like two weeks. Um, so, so I walk out and I kind of get onto my knees and start sniffing around these little mushrooms. And I was like, these, these are liberty caps. I was actually working in a field full of them. Um, wow. and on the chances, I know, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I may or may not have picked them. I think you're allowed to pick them if they're fresh, you're just not allowed to dry or mess around with them, yeah, because then it's like you turn it into a goods that could be transported, and it's because it's a schedule one that shit is illegal, yes, so you just pick them, so you, so you pick them with your mouth, yes. <laughs> Um, some tweezers that you weren't controlling yeah um so anyway i picked them quite a lot of them and my friends and i who i was also working with we went off walking in nature on these magic mushrooms had like great conversations literally like in deep meditative states in nature just like in absolute awe and like kind of understanding that like london felt so far away and so um i don't know like busy and like this place that we're in it was like it was, it was like i was back in where i was meant to be um and it just it was just like a massive reset and then the other guys they didn't um follow up with me and take more but i would also go off and walk and take every like four days take these doses of mushrooms and just start having these amazing like introspective thoughts um so at uni we have every monday we'd have a class um like we all put our chairs in a big circle and it's almost like we have like group therapy and we talk about we talk about stuff and you my course is made up of mostly girls and they're always talking about this idea called self-love self i can't pronounce it right self-love you can't say it. you're a bloke. Self love. You're a bloke. You can't say that. Self, self, I think that sounds right. Self. Why is that coming out of your mouth? You're a bloke. You can't I say that. Know. You're not supposed to have that. Only girls have that. Right. Anyway, <laughs> the word would make my toes curl, oh. and like I just like, what are you girls talking about? Like, yeah. You know nothing about life. Self love, pansies. Um, and then I was in Scotland. I was like, huh. Oh. Oh. There's the penny drop. Oh, I don't really like myself. Wow. And then I was like, well, if I don't like myself, how can I like other people? Mm. And it, well, that doesn't always make sense because, you know, you can like someone else in order to make yourself feel better. But so wait, was this was this was this all during your course during your course? Yeah, this is after a year of studying psychology right. okay. in the summer between first year and second year. Okay. Um, and then. I got on board with the idea of self-love and I started to realize that I could change the narrative about myself. So instead of like, if I forgot something about like, you stupid idiot or probably be a lot more swear words, but I'm yep. keeping it clean. Um, you silly Billy. Um, <laughs> and then, um, and then so that all started changing. And I was just like, you're not a bad person, man. Like you didn't have free will to join the army. Like I've I've met like far left people and I was like you shouldn't have joined the army. I didn't really have a choice. Like mm. if you think that I was born, I was born hateful, and I wanted to go to another war and fight a man I didn't know in another country with no context about his situation. That's the unnatural bit. 
Mm. Like that's that's the you know I was given that, um, and I forgave myself. I think, yeah. and I was just uh, like, like you can move on from that. And so I started having these. They were like the big light bulb moments. I feel, I feel I I feel like it's very vital in a person's recovery process to analyze and become like really become in tune with this internal voice in the head mm. and what the internal <laughs> narrative is because you know if the narrative is the whole time you know you're awful you're terrible you're you can't do that that's not good why did you do that you're an idiot yeah there there needs to come some kind of gap in that because you know that's that that's like that's like a tennis game of just the most awful you know it, it just needs someone to come and grab the ball and go uh mm, no let's change now yeah um and th this is what that's the premise of cbt isn't it so um, if you can change the thoughts, therefore you change the feelings. Um, and yeah, and they in CBT talk about the core beliefs. So because of whatever happened in my childhood, the trauma leading up to the army, I had low self-esteem. Then I went into the army and then it was like toxic masculinity on top of low self-esteem, which which traps you in this feeling of of inadequacy. And I just started, I just started to realize it, and just like because of the way that the drugs work, which I'm sure we'll get onto, is that every, that that place in your head where you say I am this, um, your ego, it diminishes to a point that you can see yourself clearly, and and I could see myself without everything that had been projected onto me, without social conditioning, without the trauma, without the child trauma, um, without a narrative that had been given to me and I heard just what was what I was saying and feeling without all that stuff and then that was just a place of like love and kindness to, for myself because if you can't talk authentically from that place then you're never going to heal because you're stuck in a state of thinking that you're not good enough to be around mm. um and then like that was like the breakthrough of Scotland but there was another big breakthrough that I had, which was when I went to Barcelona, um, and that was a guided experience. Is it um, is it is it a legal guided experience, or was it one that was underground? Would you is it is it legal? It's not legal there, is it? No. Yes. It's not legal. Okay. But it was remote. Okay. Um, and underground, and. Uh, the guide and his partner are fairly, I guess they're fairly new with um, their what it is that they're offering people. So they're still finding their feet, but I already knew him um, from my winter seasons. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, a bit close to the old mouth. Um, I already knew him from my winter season. So he was like, just come over. I won't, you know, I know you study psychology, so we don't have to have too much of the um, pre-therapy and I know that you're in a safe place to go back to. So I only went out for three days. Just turn it. That's it. Like yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm not used to the old mic. Oh, yeah. Now I can hear myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like I'm interviewing uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Um, so, so, so you had your own experience in Scotland, and then there was a, there was a different but guided. So, so what, what's the difference in the guided and, or, yeah, how, how, how was the what's the difference in the... The, the impact or the you know the way it happened with the guided therapy as opposed to your own exploration hmm because when you're by yourself you can't challenge yourself 
to the depth that you need to go. Mm. And when someone else has had their breakthrough experience, it's almost like they've had the secret that's been passed on to them, which they're trying to pass on to you. And when you have this breakthrough experience, you understand that he's passing on something to you, which is deeply ancient, spiritual, and goes back to the very core of like human nature. And it's the most overwhelming, loving, freeing, liberating experience that I believe anyone can have. Wow. Um, and by yourself, I just don't think you'll go to that depth. And you don't have the support and you don't have other to soundboard or, or talk to things about. It's almost like not jumping straight into a car when you first learn to drive and having the driving structure there to... Yeah. That's the clutch. That's the... Yeah. Let's, let's take it easy and not smash into any lampposts. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you check over your shoulder twice before you go around the road. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I actually smashed into a lamppost once. I think that was my unconscious trying to tell you that. <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> pleasure and so guided yeah. guided therapy guided yes. yeah guided psychedelic therapy from someone who wasn't officially trained okay and and how did the 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 yeah talk us through what happened in if, if you're okay with it talk us through yeah. what happened in your in, in your experience um okay so I'd had that amazing experience in Scotland. I was back at uni. I'd just gone back into my second year. So this would have been September. And I found out, or my dad told me that he had pulmonary fibrosis, which is de degenerative. Degenerative. Yes, thank you for helping me out there. Um, disease of the lungs. Um, and it's, it's, it's untreatable, but if you live a good lifestyle and it's, if it's something that happens later on, you can tend to outlive it. But anyway still something which kind of knocked me sideways um i was also having some arguments with my sister about attending her wedding and some pretty trivial things but um everything seemed to pile up pile up on me again and i i felt that um that negative spiral happening again and i was like oh i thought i'd crack this i was like i thought like what is it then like i thought i'd forgive myself like, what more do I need to do? And that's when I reached out because I knew this guy was offering it to me. And I was like, okay. Like, I just had the feeling like my, my girlfriend, she was like, oh, come to me and spend some time with me. You'll be okay. Mum was like, come and stay with me in the countryside. You'll be fine. My dad was like, come and stay here. I just knew I was there like, no, this, this, needs, to be, this needs to be completely separate. Mm. I've been down that road before. And it hasn't it's a comfort blanket, or well, you know, it's it's it, it's a supposed blanket, but yeah. that can bring up all kinds of other. It's like you know, um, I love the Matrix, by the way. Um, you know, when Neo goes to get out of the car and Trinity grabs him, and she's like, "No, Neo, you've been down that road before. Like, you know where it leads." And I was like, "I need to do something like this." Is like I feel my call to go and do something big and powerful and life changing. Um, I need wow, to change. Very... That's quite a that's quite a brave that's quite a big uh, epiphany to have. Like a I think because I had a tiny version of it before, I was like, I want more of that, and I hear that in so many people have these small like smaller light bulb or epiphany epiphanies. Yeah, epiphanies. Um, 
and I, I can always hear that and I do sort of encourage them to turn it up mm. um, only because of my experience. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I took that call and I said, I'm, I'm going out to Barcelona and I jumped on a plane. Like Barcelona is like nice and sunny, right? I went on there. It was like one of the worst storms that they're experiencing. <laughs> like Coming into land does not stay on the plane. Oh, it, it stayed on the plane. Like it was hammering <laughs> off the windows. The rain like, came off the plane. Yeah. yeah. I was watching the flight attendants. And I was like, it's always good to watch them because they're always the calm ones. They weren't calm. They're flapping, yeah. They were flapping. Okay. And I was uh, like, I've got on this plane to go and heal myself. And now I'm going to die. And like, uh, the air, like I, I'm not even a nervous flyer, but it was that bad that people were screaming as like the plane was jumping up and down. It was a life changing moment, is it? Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will take the return plane back <laughs> as soon as possible. I've had it. Like, thank you, Lord, for telling me what it is. Um, so, but I I managed to crack on through this torrential rain and make it um, for a little bit further down the coast onto the outskirts of sort of like the farmland of Barcelona to where this retreat was, which was a big old chateau um, where he was looking after, but also um, offering me this therapy. Um, and then we went off the next day because I got there in the evening. Went off the next day and we did some walking um, in nature. And he was like sort of asking me, he was like trying to find out my intent for the trip, like understanding what it is. He was, he was essentially trying to listen into the deeper story of all the rubbish that was probably speaking at him at the time. It's very important. I think that that that, that, that kind of set, isn't it? It's like, what, what's the intention here? What's yeah. the purpose? Why are you doing it? To have fun, to release? Or yeah. what, you know, is there, is there, yeah. is there a deeper set? I, kn- I knew it wasn't, I wasn't going out there to have fun. Yeah. I knew that it was, it was going to be of importance and, and also maybe mirror the same sort of experience I had in Scotland. It's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, people, you know, to, 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 make, a, to make a choice like that, to make a real life-changing, scary choice like that, you know, p- people don't wake up every day and go, I'm going to face my fears now. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to really try and attempt yeah. to, you know, it's just not, it's not a desirable thing to do. So to have the bravery to do that, I mean, I'm not wearing a hat right now, but <laughs> Cheers, off man. to you, man, really. Um, I just, I think this is why soldiers have that power to do it like you wake up every day in Afghanistan thinking that it potentially be your last so what is it to unpack the demons which are in your own head like I know you could people say you could go crazy but that's really not the case on psychedelics unless of course you do have some outstanding illness and you shouldn't take them agreed um and you should always we'll go into you know the ethics of it later um but that's why we're we're pretty. That's why soldiers and veterans are probably a, a pretty good sort of um, community to kind of go into it with. Um, and then yeah, we did this. So I was with this guy, and we were walking through, and he was asking me all the stuff from like my childhood, all the way up to present day, all the trauma of Afghanistan, pretty much the stuff we just covered. Um, and we went back, and I did a triple dose or a heroic dose of lsd so a triple a triple heroic dose what is what is a uh, a standard dose um it's around 100 micrograms okay i hope i get this all right for the, no i do i'm pretty good with dosage dose dosages now um, can't pronounce it but you know what's yeah happening. i can't pronounce it you know <laughs> i know the scales and the measurements um and so yeah i took i took something which would have 
which is enough to really make you trip hard and really go really let go but also be guided through a journey into your unconscious it's like dreaming when you're awake okay and you're very conscious it's not like it's not like when you're drunk and you have gaps in your memory i can legitimately remember every single moment from that 10 hour trip really yeah wow and i was recording it all on a on on like a device on my wrist wow okay yeah so so you can you can play it all back as well yeah which is scary have you have you you watched it cringy yeah yeah i've watched it yeah what what your what your yeah what your thoughts on that watching it back it's mad because we almost sound mad (laughs) (laughs) disclaimer (laughs) yeah i'm not sure if i'll ever release it yeah no i I don't know keep that to you Yeah. yeah um but he was he was genius in a way he was hard on me he was he he came at me like what's it get called when you when you get called in for questioning by the interrogation it's almost like an interrogation of my demons right. and my story whilst tripping bowels okay um and, and just, this was this this was all gathered from from, from the pre-conversation from the pre-conversation had, yeah. okay <laughs> excuse me um and I could see, like, so at, at the beginning, I was, I was opening up about trauma and stuff that happened when I was younger. Um, and I could see he was impatient. And I was like, like bro, I'm opening up. And it was just almost like, you've told these stories. Wow, okay. And I was like, no, I've told them. He's like, are you really emotional about them? How many times have you told them? And I was like... Am I emotional or am I just playing the victim? Hmm. And then like because your ego's diminished and you've got no defense, you talk to yourself honestly and you're like, I've grieved Martin. Why am I holding on to this narrative? And then just like things started opening up and I was like, because the community, the veteran community and the people that you come back to, everyone sees you as the victim or some traumatic experience and they want to comfort you and you want to become the orphan or the 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 victim or um the person who's been hard done by and i think i was just addicted to a massive element of it not in like a complete narcissistic way but just in a way that i didn't understand um so we're getting more to the point and stuff there um and then yeah he just kept grilling me for like 10 hours and stuff um and more and more stuff and it was it was like whenever i had an opinionated view of myself he would challenge it mm-hmm. and be like why why have you put yourself in that box and then i just began to see that like we all we do is put ourselves in these little boxes and categories which don't allow us to experience anything of like the in between and you don't understand that you live on a gradient and like one of like a bit of it was like sexuality and like, and when I suddenly accepted that, if I hold on to the fact that my idea of being completely straight was I can't have affection or love of men. And then when I realized I'd held myself to such a, like a extreme of what I thought it was to be straight and masculine in the army, 
I was actually shut off to 50% of the, you know, the population. Um, and I was like, hmm, does this mean I'm gay? Um, and then he was like, no, man, it just means that you find it hard to accept love off men. And if you can't do that, then you're going to find yourself feeling awkward around people who are men. And I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense. It was like I was, when I was off my party seasons, I always struggled to connect with group of men because I was always intimidated by them. Um, I was always competing. I always had to be better than them. I always had to go for the girls around them. Like everything was like an avoidance strategy because um, I didn't have that sort of connection much when I was growing up with my dad or I had this um, kind of stepdad who came into my life when I was younger who wasn't particularly all that nice all the time. Um, and yeah, I just realized that I was missing a side of myself. And in this moment, I realized that I was so unbalanced in my masculine and my feminine, like as in the archetypes of them, yeah. that I didn't know like where I kind of sat in society. And then when I just accepted myself for like, I am not like, I don't have to be this or this. I don't have to be in like one of the boxes. I can just experience and, and experience people around me without thinking that I am part of these enforced categories that society tells us to be part of, like you are this or that. I just let go and I was like, I just broke. It was like the final piece of the puzzle. Like, um, like I always say, it's like, you know, on a safe where you, where you click and then everything aligns and then I opened up like, and then I just broke onto the floor, like, like into like this little ball, this mess. And the guy who was guiding it is like, my work here is done. Oh, you fucking massive. <laughs> I was just, I was just crying with self love and like love oh, for wow. myself. Huh? Like, it wasn't the drugs it like it it felt like ancient knowledge was pouring into me like like my heart was open there was like a beam of light from the heavens like just going into me and like it was just giving me this new energy and understanding of myself and at that point i because as i like bent over i had a psychedelic trip um and i just saw these like most amazing like religious symbols and symbols that I'd never even seen before um and I, and I saw this this and I've seen it in paintings since maybe someone would be like well you saw it in a painting before but I just saw this this path leading into light so like and the beams of light were so bright that people were walking along the path in front of me and people were like holding their hands on the path and like guiding them towards enlightenment I was like this is the secret that he was trying to tell me before. Like you learn and you get it and your trip and like, whatever, like if it's true, it's true. And it's not, I don't hold on to it too tight. The main thing the is, fact is it's worked for you and it and, worked. Yeah. And like, I want to be a scientist. Like I have to understand that symbols imprints. I don't know. I don't know how to justify it with science to be honest. Not yet. It's pretty ineffable, 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 ineffable kind of ironic i can't say that word um you better brush on your dictionary skills boy to be a scientist let me tell you now i know <laughs> um it's a self-esteem thing because i never thought i was intelligent i always think i can't remember the words that i'm trying to say and then oh, it really? blocks me from saying it mm. Mm. Okay. um so yeah so i'm at this ball of mess and suddenly i'm like 
I want to be sick. And he was like, yeah, go be sick. Went outside and I was sick. This black bile from the pits of my stomach. Wow. Is that um, like, is that like a, like purging? Is that, is that the... Like people purge on ayahuasca. Yeah. But it just goes back to, um, like the body keeps the score. Um, it That's keeps all, all the... Tro- yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've got that. I need them to read that. Yeah, it's, it's a really good book. Is it? Yeah. I've, I've actually, I'm, I might actually take that on my little bike trip. I've got yeah. a lot of... A lot of well, I've got, That's pretty I've heavy. Space got a lot of time. No? Pretty heavy. Pretty, pretty heavy for like a bike trip. Okay. I think you, you want more... If, you, if you're cycling through nature and niceness, you want something that's going to go towards your creativity, not something that's going to be like... Yeah, so I've got, I've oh. got, I've got, I've got Johan Hari's Lost Connections oh, and Basil van der Kolk's... Yeah. Uh, uh, Have you read Chasing the Scream? No, but I've got that as well. So. Yeah. Those two, like, amazing, amazing books. Um, Sorry. Anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, w- I w- yeah, and uh, and it was just I think it was just all this trauma and all this tension, um, that was just caught up in my body like a dark vine that had taken over like all my body and I was getting snagged on it in every turn the way that I was going, and I couldn't be myself and like this getting it out this darkness was like an exorcism, and I just the weight came out of me and. The next day I meditated on like stood on a stone on one foot. Never done that before, by the way. <laughs> I don't do it now either. I meditated for four hours. Like okay. I changed foot just for the few. I'm not like I'm not You're like, not flamingo. No, I'm not flamingo. <laughs> I'm not You're a scientist, not flamingo. Yeah, yeah. An aspiring one. Um And yeah, no, I uh so this 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 like this like releasing of this bile this you think you think this was the this was all the pent up kind of mm. trauma or 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 the, the pent up stuff that was going before and 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 that's the symbol <coughs> is the is the kind of release of the sick of the yeah it? yeah yeah absolutely okay. and that energy that I tapped that glimpse of what I saw that night and the light that that feeling of it being enlightened for that narrow window of out of the 10 hour trip that was probably 10 seconds of the trip um and I was like huh I was like that's that's like my life's energy now and like now that feeling that I still have from them runs runs through me and I know that it's never gonna go so I I can't go back to depression like to that extent I know you should never say never and people listening to that it's like prepare yourself because you'll have rough times ahead I know, but I also know that almost no matter what what can happen now, like can't take me back to not wanting to be here. So, so you're saying that a soldier who went to Afghanistan, mm-hmm. who saw his best friend killed, mm-hmm. blown in the face, uh, was stuck in depression for years, was was you know had mental illness, was you know the, the low lows, the you're you're saying you're 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 certain from what happened on that experience that you you can't go back there because you you found this self love now. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a, yeah, that's what was missing. Wow, I've got goosebumps. That's, yeah. that's a damn strong statement. Yeah. Wow. And I'm not saying that like I can't promise that for everyone who goes but, but through for it. You, that's the. But for me, and and you've got to look at like where I'd come from. I was always sensitive, so I was always open to it. I was studying psychology 
for a year and a bit at the time. So I was learning alongside what my trip was going to be about. So I was more open to what the guide was going to take me through. Okay. So I've got to take ownership for certain amounts of things that I was doing for myself. And that's what my mum likes to hear because she doesn't like to hear like drugs helped me. La, 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 la. Yeah, yeah, this, this didn't happen. I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so, so I was doing a lot for myself as much as I trusted this guy and I put my trust in him and his partner to take me through that experience. Um, and then, yeah, just to go back to the, to the month, I came back and I was like, mom, mom, it's like, I've, I've done it. I've, I've like, I've, I've left PTSD behind in, in Barcelona. So, oh, wow, wow. Like what, what were you doing? I was like, well, I had this 10 hour trip on LSD. Like, Guy, are you, are you talking about drugs? It's like, yes, mother. I'm the talking D about word. drugs. Yeah. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. There's the carpet. <laughs> uh, yeah and I was just like, yeah but you know listen like I don't I've left it behind now um and we fought and we've argued and stuff about it like afterwards and it's just, it's just their generation man I think I think I think you've just got to yeah you've just got to have comfort and solace in yeah. that's what they knew yeah that was their time yeah whereas whereas now it's and, and, and it's living proof that you know yeah. that, that, that there's a different future that could be had for people mm. potentially if if they're open enough to yeah to receive it and to but it's tough and like this is this is the integration period afterwards because you can't just have an experience and then go plop yourself back into potentially the environment which is supporting your trauma so a lot of the stuff that my mother and I have to get through comes from issues which happened when I was younger um and that's hard especially stu studying psychology like I want to go to the depths I want to heal completely and for their generation, it's a transitional generation that happened. They were born after, pretty immediately after World War II. Emotions were brushed under the carpet in order for our society to continue. And that's where a lot of intergenerational trauma gets passed on through families and people don't recognize it. But I'm of the generation that's there, like, I want to deal with this. I don't want to pass it on any further. I want to break the cycle. Yeah. Um, so people have to understand that the, the drugs aren't the answer, but they will give you many things for you to work on afterwards. And you can do that with a therapist as well. You're not, you, you don't just have the experience that so you're left on your own. Um, you've, you've got help. How is, how is the, the, um, the post, uh, therapy like the, the the integration back into society what have you are you still in contact do you do you still um yeah how do, how do, how is how is yeah mine was my situation was a bit unique because i did keep in contact with them after we we, we fell out a little bit with the guide um just because i'd said i'd give a review before i went there but then afterwards, I was like, if I want to become, it's, it's pretty selfish, really. I didn't want to give a review afterwards because of where I thought I might be and how it might jeopardize my position in the future because he's not trained. Say that again. I said in exchange for going there yeah. and being part of this experience that I would give him a review. And he came on pretty strong about the review afterwards and about how it would help him raise more money for this experience for other people to go and enjoy. And afterwards, because I felt there was 
it wasn't set up enough that I could write a review for other people to go and experience right then at that moment. Okay. So I didn't feel comfortable writing a review and we fell out about that. Okay. So I didn't have much of an integration experience with, with him and his partner, even though we it's all amicable. But I went to King's College. They have they hold meetings once a month in random buildings around London for anyone who's had a psychedelic experience and oh, wow. you want to go and talk about it. So I went there and I talked about my experience with them. We sat down in a big circle. I'm in contact with a few people from the session I had there. Um, and yeah, and ultimately I had myself, I had my studies. And a lot of people don't have that. Like they're not studying psychology at the same time. They don't know how to signpost themselves. Or they don't have the... My peers at my university are great listeners and empathic listeners and reflective listeners, uh, reflexive listeners. So I've got the support that I need. But that it's so important. So for anyone who is going away and they're not offering an integration period afterwards, it's more important almost or as important as the trip itself. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you have these amazing epiphanies and they shake you to your core and they make you feel like Bambi the next day walking around in this new world um, with the afterglow. But if you think you have to run home and change your life overnight or you think you can do it, you can't. So you need to set expectations. Okay. That sounds like a really good uh, group to, to be part of that. The, the uh, King's College group. Um, yeah. Yeah. That sounds, yeah, just a ticket, I think. Yeah, I think they've been doing sorts of like sessions and stuff online as well for people okay. who are, because obviously with lockdown, a lot of people have been dabbling with the old psychedelics at home because they've had this, I think as it's becoming more and more mainstream, people are like, I want to, delve deeper into my mind and see what's in the basement and turn the light on right um i mean i was i was my my kind of eyes were opened a bit when i when i read a book uh by michael pollan um oh uh, yeah yeah called the the you know how, how to change your mind the new science of psychedelics yeah um and you know like b before this I'd, I'd i'd had a very um standoffish view about them but then but then the way the way that michael pollan lays it out for you and the way that he takes you through the history of you know lsd or psilocybin yeah. or dmt or whatever it is and you know tells you why it was outlawed he 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 really puts it on a on a plate for you and and that 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 almost eases your mind enough to, to have an understanding around it um so yeah that was the, you know um yeah so yeah just talking about the whole the, the whole kind of mainstream thing and the whole yeah kind of idea behind and that. how it was it was a political decision to to criminalize these substances during a time where they were treating thousands of people extremely successfully, almost to the point where it blew any sort of other drug off the shelf, out of the market. It was, it was revolutionary. And because, unfortunately, the counterculture, not unfortunately, the people who were part of the counterculture of, of the war in Vietnam, they started smashing it and dropping dropping out of society and you know the the hippie the love movement which isn't necessarily a bad movement nope. absolutely not um but they obviously the politicians were like we can't have this like we can't have people dropping out of our war and fighting against it because it doesn't look good so they just overruled all this research which was being done and it's been shut off and kept behind bars sort of until like the early 2000s and 
There was a there was a direct quote from Richard Nixon's chief of staff. I forget his name now, but he was he he pretty much said in 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 as many words as that. Look, black people and hippies were a threat. Yeah, and, and we 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 had to quash them. So therefore, we le- we um we criminalized weed and we and we criminalized LSD. And if you're caught with that, then you're in jail. That means there's, that means you stop you stop the threat of revolution, of change, of a movement. Yeah. And with that goes thirty years of you know potential research into depression, into mm-hmm. anxiety, into PTSD. Yeah. You know, end and, of and, life and care. End of life care. Yeah. Like, right, exactly. like successfully changing people's perspective and how they felt anxious about dying, mm. and they stopped it because it was it wasn't to their liking. Um, and then the media got involved and then they all over the newspapers were ridiculous headlines like lady on LSD gets impregnated by frog a legitimate newspaper headline <laughs> yeah and like they just plastered this rubbish all over the papers and it came across here to England people jumping off top story buildings thinking they can fly on magic mushrooms and um, and it's just tarnished tarnished it and you know um it's a bit rubbish really but there is there is there is now a movement amongst uh amongst scientists and mm-hmm. you know like johns hopkins and and i think ucl doing some studies as well and yeah so th- so after my experience of barcelona i started i came back and i started mess- messaging again for the second time in my life loads of researchers annoying them like the people people i'd been watching on ted talks like dr robin carhart harris like for me it was like me and the Chelsea football team and I was writing to them I was like get me involved I will be your water boy I will wipe the sweat off your brow I'll make a mean <laughs> cup of tea I, really I, yeah I would I would have done anything um and yeah Dr Robin Carter Harris he got he got back to me and he's like meet with this guy called Keith Abraham he's also a veteran you're on a very similar path I was like and he kind of like left it as that, just like classic, like that. classic scientist. Just they're like, I don't have time for this, but here's a little nugget of like knowledge, like be good. Um, so I, I messaged him and and really, keep... really that 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 email should be, he he should have left about fifty paragraphs at the bottom just to let you know that there's going to be something here. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> or or dot dot dot. Yeah. Not even, not even sign off. Just yeah. Dot, dot. Um. You, you get that a lot, actually, with the people that you message who are, they're just so busy. This is like such a, it's the forefront of like medical research um, and very experimental and everything else that comes with it. Um, and yeah, so I started speaking to Keith Abraham, who is a paratrooper. Um, he was in the army for a number of years, very similar experiences to me. And he was like, listen, I'm I'm setting up a charity. I was like, okay tell me more um and he was like it connects veterans with plant medicine Ding. interest Ding. interest peaked i was like carry on <laughs> um and he said there's already a company over in uh america who's doing it heroic hearts project get the name in there, get yeah. the name in there. and then we're called heroic hearts project UK two oh right <laughs> <laughs> how inventive the market in Strand was there eh? yeah well <laughs> this, is, this is Keith's Keith made like he said it in a perfect way to me is like we're not looking to try and create something new if we can take the framework 
this, you know, this to us it's selfless work. We just want the knowledge to be shared and passed on, and everyone to have the same experiences. This isn't about holding power or creating a franchise, much like you know, heroic hearts. Uh, not heroic hearts. Oh, um, help for heroes. Yeah. You know, I got an email the other day saying we're going to have to um, make 134 people redundant. I was like, 134 people. Like, how big is it now? But they do help so many people. So I'm not, I'm not slighting them. But I just, when you have an organisation that big, there's a lot of scope for people to fall through the gaps. And like that happened to me with them. So I guess I'm a little bit bitter in a way. But also, I saw where I can be helpful in treating the people or help treating help the people on their journey with their healing. Anyway, I, I digress. So Keith and I, we we're like, yeah, okay, and he was actually quite far forward with the process and he's put into the charity commission board and it's all sort of going through now. Um, but yeah, it's like the people who have joined, they've got um, as a trustee, Oli Oliton from SES, he who does so one of the TV personalities. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Um, so an SES geezer um, who went away, I believe to Costa Rica and used ayahuasca to treat his sort of mental wounds um we also have crispin blunt who is an mp and part of the conservative drug policy reform group which Mm. i didn't know existed wow um okay i like to think i'm fairly in the center and don't really get involved too much in politics but i was like oh interesting and then we also have jeffrey i'm really sorry jeffrey i've forgotten your second name who's part of the labor side of the drug policy reform group oh wow so we've got people who are willing to be behind this charity and also alongside scientists who are going to do the research with the veterans create something which we can take to the houses of parliament and be like this is saving lives. You taking away this medicine from veterans is immoral. It's unethical because it's helping. Um, and we're also partnered with Drug Science, which is an independent research company here in the UK. Um, um, yeah, just many great people who are on the on part of this. Um, medical psychedelics working group um which is all the people at the forefront of their research coming together or mps or veteran advocates for the use of plant medicine to get together every month and figure out the best way to make an impact to get the psilocybin and potentially mdma rescheduled from schedule one to schedule two which means that a lot more people can start using it um inside the medical model because right now it's stuck behind schedule one class a it costs thousands of pounds to work with um and it's trapped behind so much red tape that it's really hard to do the research here in the uk so mdma that's that's had some success hasn't it with Mm -hmm. treating where is it now is it stage in america is it staged they've they've so maps have worked with so i think it's they've done the work from schedule two to go into and raise enough money to 
do the final sort of research on making it schedule three. Okay. Um, probably should have done a bit more research before I came on and talked about that. <laughs> um, but it's hard. I'm, you know, I should be more forgiving. I'm obviously studying at uni at the same time as this. Um, but yeah, MDMA is highly successful, especially with talking about trauma, um, because of the the neurochemicals the serotonin how much serotonin is released in your brain so whilst you're talking through sort of traumatic memories you don't have the impending fear of reliving that moment because your body's relaxed and your mind's relaxed and you're at ease and you can you can talk about things a lot more openly and deeply okay where's that where's that in so where what stage is that in this country we, still they, schedule they, one still schedule one yeah still under the i can't remember the act now but the act which criminalizes psychoactive ingredients um psycho psychoactive um substances, substances. Yeah. um yeah they're all under the, the the same one okay where do, do you think so so this 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 charity that you formed mm-hmm. um along with the the commission you mentioned yeah how 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 kind of how kind of far do you think think things are off changing in just just at a, at a kind of educated guess is it is are we are we are we mm. are we talking months years are we does it need obviously, obviously it needs more it needs more research and yeah. more evidence and so i'm, I'm only going to like almost mirror what i've been listening to in these amazing meetups with the psychedelics working group um so covid massive pandemic mental health crisis already before probably going to be one afterwards um to even worse degree massive drop in sort of revenue gdp because of the indent that it makes on the economy the government have their ears pricked back i think like it's like, well, we need a new revenue and we also need to help people. Like, should we be listening to what these people are literally screaming at us? <laughs> like, why are we not listening to them? We know that we can see the history laid out that it was a political decision way back. Um, so listening to the MPs, they're actually really positive and they almost think that they can't escape it morally or ethically anymore. Mm. Um I think it's Kohlberg's model or test that he does on testing people where their sort of ethics lie in terms of like a hierarchy. Um, and like one of the tests is, is, is to put it basically, if um, let's say if your wife is sick and you know this pharmacy has the drugs to treat your wife, but it's too expensive for you to buy it and you have no other way or access to the medicines. Is it immoral if you break into that pharmacy, steal the drugs and give it to your wife when it's like trapped behind this door and this money that you can't, you know, use to get it. Um, and it's the same thing. Like why have we know that these substances are so effective and they are helping people and they're, they're just putting them just out of our reach because of one political sort of act scheduling um 
why is it so much just to take it down from schedule one to schedule two so that people can start getting it on the medical model and getting the therapy they need mm. like, like why are you not doing that for people why are you not doing that for veterans um who have like given up so much or have been dealing with it ever since they left yeah it's like why i just like no one gets it and it's just it's because of academic conservatism and and just people want to brush it under the carpet because it's got the umbrella term of drugs attached to it i heard i heard uh, um something recently that or you know just a, a while ago that said that you've actually got more chance of um you've 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 got more chance of of things like say for instance drug reform happening under a government that is conservative or that is not necessarily in our model you know because a republican you might say um because under like sort of left-wing governments it's seen as oh well that's just what they do anyway so but but under like the yeah the the more kind of conservative ones it's 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 almost got more kind of hope of or, or more or more chance of going through but because of their yeah. level of um of of um political view you might say yeah because i've, I've I don't know. Is there that view that they, you deal with things very methodically? If something's costing the state money, then why on earth would you let it cost us, let it take more of our resources away in terms of having to help people with longer sessions of talking therapy when something could be shortened or where people feel like they, they don't have a home so they live on the streets and then become, then have to steal or whatever it is to support living on the streets or those people who turn to drugs and substance abuse have to then steal and break into people's houses and traumatize other people in order to make themselves feel better when actually if you just listen to the science and the people who are trying to tell these stories they're not lying they're not they're not coming at you to to try and change your view on the bad drugs you know the, the really bad ones the crack and the things which really heroin, heroin. Um, God bless the people who are you know stuck in that cycle of taking them. But again, there's other substances like ibogaine and stuff which have been shown to help people break substance abuse and repair those serotonin receptors in their brain to then not need something because the other side of not taking something is too much pain to deal with. Yes, yeah, it's, it's had the, 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 up against the African plant, isn't it? That's yeah. had, had success treating heroin addicts. Yeah, it? there's yeah. a really great film called Dosed. Dosed, okay. That I encourage anyone to watch. Okay. Um, there's a combination. She uses ibogaine at first, or initially magic mushrooms, but it doesn't stop her dependency on the drugs. And then she takes ibogaine, has this massive reset of the brain. Like you see her go through the process of going back to her child state, all the way back up to to where she is now and then using magic mushrooms afterwards where she doesn't need the substance and then she can take the magic mushroom it's just my it's mind-blowing it's such wow. an amazing documentary Dosed, yeah yeah and she'd been i think she'd been on heroin for over 10 years right um so it's you know i just i don't i don't know how people can ignore it anymore um but it's fear it's just fear Fear of the new, fear of the fear of the 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 the, the taboo word drugs. It's I just think. fear. I think people are so scared of what it does. You essentially you come face to face with your demons. Like that ten hour trip was like I was trying to crawl up the walls to get away from this guide and or what felt like this dark presence in the room. Like I was trying to get away from it 
and I felt like the devil was in the room and then finally I gave up. Stop fighting it. Huh? Stop fighting. Turn and face it. And then I just saw it was me. I was just looking in the mirror. I was just scared of myself. And like people are scared to go down into the basement and turn the light on and sit with their shadows and face them. <laughs> but like it, if you if you go and do it with these psychedelics, you can you can change it. You can go and sit down there and make friends with them and just be like, ah, okay. It's like, you know, Peter Palmer is chasing his shadow. Yeah. Like up against the wall, it's like if you, you know, you just go in there, turn the light on, a lot of the shadows go away anyway. And then you deal with the foundations of your house, this basement, which was scary and dark and full of cobwebs. Once that becomes a nice place, you build upwards. And eventually you get into the attic, which is your creativity. Then you can look over the other houses and th see things from subjective view and how you can help everyone else in their houses. It's like my little house analogy. Actually, I think it was Carl Young's house analogy but stolen it thank you carl thank you thank you carl no that's that's a that's a great way of, that's a beautiful way of putting it, actually yeah. yeah and before like if you're not willing to go into your basement you're in your normal level one level two of your house and if you haven't had too many nice experiences you haven't got much furniture in each of the rooms so you're just ruminating in each each room and you're just wandering around and you don't really want to be in your house so you try and leave it all the time and try and have fun outside of your head and you're just ignoring all the problems that you haven't, you don't feel comfortable inside your house, inside your head. Um, really what you want to do is go down into the basement, find out where all that old furniture is, all those bad and happy memories, bring it up. And then you just you can be happy and sit down and have conversations about your family room, your army room, your whatever room, social room. Um, you just... Yeah, you'd spend a lot more time in your head and not having to be around other people to take you out of what you're thinking about. Take you out of your own head. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. I think that's the perfect little bow to yeah. end our conversation with. Cool. Nice bow. Beautiful bow. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for having me. That was unreal. Thank I'm you sweaty. Very much. <laughs> I'm not completely over all of it, am I? Physiological reactions are still there. <laughs> Time for a shower. I think the sun's on my side today. I got a lease of life, I feel okay. Need to call around, get them all out, jump in the car and get on the way. Cause there's love and the strength in numbers. They can try, but they're never gonna run us down. Down. Speak as loud, it's like we're on a come up Fifth gear, but they're never gonna race us Down, down I'm alive, on a high Blue skies, there's nothing better
can try, but they're never gonna run us down, down. Speak as loud, it's like we're on a come up. Fifth gear, but they're never gonna race us down. 